Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to episode 195 of Geek Town Radio. I'm back this week with... Ross. Hi Dave, how are you? Hi, you alright, how are you? Yeah, real good, thank you. We're back to a normal show this week, now I finally got all my computer problems which I've been <laughs> having the last couple of weeks over, uh, so we're all back up and running properly. What have you been up to then since you've been on last? Actually in the past uh, two weeks I suppose, uh, we've had sort of the battle of the angsty Netflix superhero teams in our house. Um, <laughs> yeah. We, we watched all of the Umbrella Academy and we, we're sort of three episodes into Titans off the back of that. Okay. Um, I think it was a mistake watching them back to back because I enjoyed the Umbrella Academy a lot. Yeah. So every episode of Titans, I'm like, is this as good as the Umbrella Academy? Like, I'm comparing <laughs> them. And I, sh- I shouldn't do that, really. But I'm, I'm enjoying both. They're, they're both really good. Yeah very, yeah. very different sort of shows. I mean, the Umbrella Academy has got that sort of slightly off-the-wall kind of bent to it, whereas whereas Titans is a, is a much more... I mean, still kind of angsty and certainly darker than the CW shows, but yeah. it does have much more of a sort of straight superhero thing going on, you know. Yeah, it feels more DC, whereas um, Umbrella Academy, I think, is Dark Horse. Yes, um, yeah, and, and it, it feels very different to other stuff. Yeah, they do feel very much like that. The way that they've taken Umbrella Academy. I mean, whereas, of course, although they're both on Netflix over here, Titans isn't a Netflix show, whereas Umbrella yeah. Academy is. So, uh, and they do very much feel like those sort of two separate elements. But yeah, no, I've, I enjoy both of them. Titans, I don't know, it had a few issues in places with Titans, but um, certainly Umbrella Academy, I thought was great. Yeah, but very occasionally. So we, I used to spend a lot of time laughing at Gotham right because um, yeah. Go- Gotham's a very good show but the, the visual effects aren't always tight no we're getting ready for that with Titans certain things uh, aren't as positive but Titans on the whole is really good but the Umbrella Academy I don't think it's a spoiler to say that there is a um, chimpanzee in a lot of the Umbrella Academy yes um, and I think it's one of the finest pieces of CGI animal making I've ever seen. It's really, he's really good all the way through. He's really good. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is a sort of walking, talking chimpanzee. And yes, I, I do wonder if they mocapped it. Uh, you know motion capture ah. that I suspect because it has that sort of feel to it I, I suspect it's a motion capture performance but ah. I mean I could be wrong about that but that but, that would be my suspicion but yeah even down to his fur and the way his mouth moves yeah, and yeah. stuff he feels very um, he's very believable I really liked it yeah, um, yeah the, the, in, in, in the production value all in all on both of them has been pretty good so far um, yeah yeah real good we're very much enjoying Titans as well Titans comes to a bit of an abrupt end for me Ooh. um 
So I'm looking forward to them doing more of it. And they are definitely doing more of it because they've cast Superboy in the second season. So, yes. Uh, so they are going to be doing more of it. But yeah, it sort of felt like half a season, that a little bit. Oh. It, I mean, it has a finale, but it did feel a bit like a mid-season finale, not an ending finale to me. Oh, so that's interesting. There are some reveals, but I <laughs> sort of feel like it could have been a bit longer. But yeah, anyway, I mean, you know, both good shows. So. Yeah, great. So that's what, uh, that's what we've been up to. How about you, Dave? A few different things. Flack, which is this show that's the, this original show, which is on the W channel. I'm really, really enjoying. Uh, I mentioned it a few weeks ago when we did the sort of last main show. It's essentially a bit like if you took the premise of something like Ray Donovan in that it's a fixer and right. wrapped it in a kind of suit shell because it has very much that sort of feel to it. Mm. But it's all set in London and it's all very much done with a sort of London bent to it, even though it's Anna Paquin starring as the lead. So it's this weird mishmash of sort of American style show but very much done in England right so yeah but it's interesting she's she plays this PR executive she's living in London she's there to try and spin things for uh, her various clients who are generally awful people <laughs> um, pretty much and they're celebrities who kind of get themselves into hot water and she's kind of, she's there to kind of spin her way out of you know spin sure. their way so out she's a bit more of like a like a formal fixer her job is to put a good spin on things and- yeah. And everything works out okay. Yeah, um, but she does, you know, she she finds herself covering up kind of drug taking and and all that sort of stuff. So uh, she's oh. uh, Anna Paquin is the is the main lead in it. It's got Mark Warren in it as well. It's really really solid, and the. Um, the whole thing, I think, is actually up to binge your way through on various streaming platforms, mm. whatever the W streaming platform play. Is it part of play, maybe? I don't know. The, Could well be. Yeah. Um, so, Flack is the word for a publicity agent. I didn't know that. No, neither did I. Which, I, was, I was like, where does this come in? Why is this called this? <laughs> given given that we're, we're both kind of PR adjacent, <laughs> <laughs> kind of should have probably known that. Seems like it? someone would have tapped us on the shoulder and told mm. us at some point. Yes, <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, only six episodes long for that first season. So um, mm. well, well, well worth going to watch. It's really solid. So I've been watching that. Also six episodes long, actually, Afterlife, which is the new Ricky Gervais show. Ah, yes, I've heard a lot about this. It's very interesting. And I don't think <laughs> at all what people will probably expect. I mean, it's got a lot of, obviously, Ricky's humour in it. There are yeah. there are jokes. It's incredibly dark, though. Right. Um the premise is, um, if you, I'm sure you've seen stuff about it, but the basic mm. premise is Ricky plays a guy who has lost his wife. He is utterly devastated, obviously, by this and has sunk in a, into a very deep depression to the point that he's talking about killing himself. And he then takes the attitude of, I am not going to take any crap of anybody. I am just going to tell everybody how I think it should be. And what's the worst that can happen? The worst that, you know, I've always got my fallback plan, which is to kill myself. Uh, right. That's essentially the, the setup of it. And it's almost like a superhero in some ways. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and he does talk about it being a bit like a superpower. Right. So that's the sort of place that it starts off at. And it just gets very, very dark. And I don't want to give too much away. It's, no. it's not quite as comedic as maybe you think it would be. <laughs> 
<laughs> great. You know, it, it's a great advertisement for it. <laughs> well, it, it's a really, really good show. I'm not saying it's not funny. It's just not mm. as comedic as you would expect it to be necessarily. Right. Uh, there are some great lines. There are some great sort of the Ricky Gervais thing of hiding behind your hands of going, my God, I can't believe he, he <laughs> said that. But it also has got some very kind of poignant stuff in it. And, you know, it deals a lot with depression and grief and a lot of that sort of stuff. Mm. So it's really kind of interesting and different to some of the other stuff that he's done before. It's an odd series because it, it really isn't what you think it's going to be when you step into it. But again, it's only six episodes long. They're only half an hour each-ish. You know, it's a Netflix half hour of sort of 25 right. to 33 minutes, you know, that sort of thing. Well, well worth watching. Strange and sort of different, but but I would say definitely go and watch it. I, I say if you're considering suicide, don't go watch it. But uh, <laughs> there are people out there that you could call and there's the Samaritans and, you know, check out those outlines and stuff but it is a very dark series and mm. uh, but it is it is interesting and certainly worth watching other things that i've been doing this week i've actually started to watch some movies again <gasps> there's an audible gasp there yes bohemian rhapsody was the first thing that i uh, i caught up with and Good. it's a little bit I mean, mm, I, it I, is, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think Rami Malek is amazing as Freddie Mercury. I think, I think that is a brilliant, brilliant performance. The film itself is a bit Lifetime Movie of the Week. <laughs> um, it, it's a bit sort of tabé into slot B kind of, you know. It's very nice about it, isn't it? Yeah, and it, it all and seems it, like everyone got along fine and everything's fine. Yeah, and it and it did sort of skip over certain bits, and it mm. I don't know it it is tricky. I I just I don't think it's a brilliantly written film necessarily, mm. and I certainly don't think it deserved to win Best Picture, which I mean it didn't. But I yeah you know, I mm. the fact that it got nominated I think is is quite a surprise on that point of view. But I think Rami Malek certainly deserved to win for Best Actor because I I thought that was an outstanding performance from him. But the film as a whole, it is worth watching, certainly if you're a Queen fan. Uh, mm. and, and some of the stuff in terms of the the recreation of the Live Aid gig, I thought were, were quite phenomenal. And there were things in there that I didn't know in terms of the stuff that they sort of went through and the relationship with the almost wife. Yes, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, that that sort of stuff, it was kind of interesting and there was an interesting background, but it does play out a little bit like a Lifetime movie. It's not I like... Did, I, I did hear that in, in that vein, um, now I, I'm not sure, I'm not the biggest Queen fan, but... Um, I did hear that parts of it aren't didn't happen. Like certain dates are wrong, and certain reasons for certain things aren't completely accurate. Right. Okay. Um, like you say, if you take it with that pinch of salt, that you're sort of here to enjoy it, really. Yeah. Um, rather than to get a factual account of events, then yeah, it, it feels all right. Yeah, I, I think that's probably fair. And uh, but uh, it is worth going to watch. I think it, even if it's just for Rami Malek's performance in it, but uh, it's not the best film. I've seen, oh yeah, certainly. Uh, the other thing I watched was First Man, which is about the moon landing and uh, yeah. mainly centred around Neil Armstrong, obviously, being being the first man on the moon. Um, <laughs> and so, it's Ryan Gosling, yeah? Uh, yes, it's Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling, who seems to have sort of one fairly deadpan acting style, as far as I can tell, <laughs> which he uses to full effect in, in this. Um, it is Ryan Gosling kind of playing Ryan Gosling being Neil Armstrong. Claire Foy plays his wife, and she's great. Corey Stoll plays Buzz Aldrin, who is 
obviously the the next man in the moon and uh pablo shriver who is an american gods as well plays uh jim lovell oh and uh lucas Haas, who plays michael collins who was the guy that was stuck in the command module so very very rarely gets mentioned at all during <laughs> the when you talk about apollo 11 nice. so um really solid film really enjoyed it uh Good. it kind of tells you quite a lot about the apollo missions and uh, I have to say the sound design in it is is phenomenal. I mean, the the stuff when they're testing the planes, uh, you know, initially because uh, Armstrong's a test pilot and they're they're sort of doing plane tests and they're showing him sort of just the utter lunacy of some of the stuff they were putting <laughs> in. Basically, sticking a large rocket on the back of a tin can and firing yeah. it somewhere is essentially what they were doing. And just the creaking and the the kind of rattling sounds, and you know, there's very little of the noise, and you get just that and it's the same when some of the rockets take off it really kind of pushes you inside that space um mm. and the sound design is really phenomenal in it it shows you a lot about the process of how they got there and like i say some of the lunatic things that they did <laughs> to get to that point because they were utterly determined that they that they were going to beat russia to be landing on the moon. Yeah. It was complete insanity, but they managed it, which, which was <laughs> they phenomenal. Did <laughs> they did it, which was phenomenal. If you're interested in um, those sort of historical biopics, this is definitely one worth going to see. And mm. uh, it's really beautifully put together. As I say, Ryan Gosling kind of seems to have one level, as far as I can <laughs> tell, in terms of his acting. But he was he was perfectly fine and perfectly workable as, as Neil Armstrong. So uh, yeah, that will work fine. And uh, Captain Marvel, also I saw this week. Here we go. This yeah. is why we came in. Dave, uh, so I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. I mean, a lot of people saying, "Well, it's no Black Panther." Well, no, but I, I don't kind of <laughs> it's think. Different thing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's like saying, "Well, it's no Infinity War," and it's like, well, yeah, but it's not going to be those movies. I mean, Black Black Panther was a really amazing film, and uh, Infinity War was the combination of like ten years' work. So mm. um, I think that's slightly unfair. I, I thought it was really solid. I think Brie Larson's great as Captain Marvel. It's always wonderful to see Samuel L. Jackson in it. The de-aging yeah, they've done in Samuel L. Jackson is great. Oh. Really, really good. Um, I, I think it works really well. They've done the same with Clark Gregg as well, yes. uh, who pops up a little bit. Not all that mm. much, but he, 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 you kind of get the impression from the trailers he might be into a bit more, and he's not in it quite as much as you think he's going to be. I see. Jude Law in there as well, Lee Pace. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of interesting because it's not a character that I knew particularly um, mm. introduces the scrolls, which I was not giving anything away because we know Ooh. that from the trailers. But uh, <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see whether they use that at all moving forward because yeah. that, the whole thing's about scrolls is their shapeshifters and they can take on the faces of anybody that they come into contact with. And you do wonder whether they're going to maybe do that moving forward a little bit. And, yeah. and maybe because they've had what they call secret invasion I think yeah. this is the storyline in the comic books. So they've had those a couple of those, two or three of them. Actually. Turns out they're everywhere. Yeah, and this, where the it turns out that certain heroes have actually been scrolls. So yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of interesting to see whether they're going to run with that a little bit more moving forward, which makes this a fairly key movie. You know, yeah. if that's the case, it is definitely one you need to see. But I mean, it's one of those things. If you like Marvel movies, the chances are you're going to like this. If you're <laughs> yeah. not into Marvel movies, then 
why are you watching it? You know, so I mean, <laughs> you have no context. Yeah, you we have absolutely no context. It's not one that you can particularly watch out of context. But uh, yeah, I thought I thought it was great. I thought it was mm. solid performances all round. Perfect addition to the whole Marvel universe thing. A roll on Avengers Endgame film. I mean, that's the next one to come up. Yeah. I'm very very much looking forward to that. And then we'll see what state everything is in afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Have you not seen Captain Marvel yet? I'm guessing. No, I think we'll end up going this week I, I know a bit about the character i'm not a fan particularly i think there are more interesting female characters yeah but, um, <laughs> but the, bringing in the sort of a bit more of the spacier stuff like guardians did the same thing where it was like very spacey i think that's valuable as a direction for the whole for the whole thing really right so right, because yeah. people coming to earth and getting knocked off by the avengers can only go so far right yeah exactly and i think the introduction of scrolls to the universe is, is that's interesting yeah going to be really interesting interesting so it helps set things up as as they move forward a little bit you know and obviously we know she's going to show up in endgame yeah. so um so yeah perfectly solid decent film i mean on, on the point that you make about there being more interesting female heroes you do feel a little bit sorry for scarlett johansson yeah <laughs> been plugging, been plugging, up, away. Like, plugging <laughs> away for 10 years and still not her own movie and they're like really this chick this is the one that's gonna do that you're gonna give a movie first thank you very much so yes i may be slightly annoyed if i was scarlett johansson but um it's still a great film do you remember justice league where so the whole thing is they're, they're trying to fight this guy but they can't fight the guy so we're trying to get superman back we yeah. get superman back superman sorted the whole thing out no problem yeah and i really hope endgame isn't that for marvel where she just yeah. oh, we've, called, we've called captain marvel now we can all sit back and everything's going to get sorted real quick i don't think it is going to be entirely that there is a possibility that there is some of that in there mm. but i suspect it's not going to be entirely that i suspect there's there's going to be other things going on it has got some post-credit sequences captain so, marvel has uh, captain marvel it's got two post-credit Ooh. sequences the one right at the very very end of the credits is is basically a fun cute silly add-on uh, I like those best. the uh uh the one that's uh post the initial the, the mid credit sequence you know <laughs> uh that that one has a little bit more to do with uh endgame so oh, cool so yes you see a little bit more of, of endgame stuff in there stick around if you're wondering they are worth well i mean the one right at the end if you've got to get off somewhere don't worry too much about that <laughs> but, but but certainly watch the mid-credit one that's that's definitely worth seeing so that's all the stuff i've been doing this week let's move on to some tv and film news <laughs> TV and film news this week, we start off with renewals, cancellations and pickups again. The first one was a fairly big one. Arrow is coming to an end with a 10 episode season eight they have announced this week. Lots and lots of stuff floating around about this. Um, I, I mean, it was the thing that started the Arrowverse, hence it being called the Arrowverse. So uh, it sort of seems right that it's the first thing to go. The decision to end it appears to have come from, well, technically the producers, but really Stephen Amell. Uh, Stephen Amell approached them at the end of season six and said that he was thinking about, you know, wanting to 
kind of move on and, and do other things pretty much because it's he's now got a young family and you know his life's changed so much and yeah. he wants to be able to spend a bit more time and the hours are punishing on those shows i mean they're 22 episode seasons they're crazy crazy hours they work on them he was just trying to sort of ease back a little bit and initially there is he actually posted a, a facebook video or he did a live facebook video which was very emotional if watching it and uh you know he was very emotional in it and he was basically saying you know we I, I think he feels a little bit guilty about him leaving sort of having ended the series because he was sort of thinking that maybe they could continue on without him and i can see that actually could be quite possible but they the producers had decided that they're gonna bring it to a close which i think is fair enough i mean you know after eight yeah. seasons it's not like they, they can't take the actors and shove them into other seasons other shows <laughs> if they wanted to you know if people wanted to stay around and it gets more expensive when you get into sort of eight seasons because you're having to pay the cast more and more each time they renew contracts so i think it seems right that that's the one that's coming to an end there's been lots of lovely things posted from you know the rest of the casting crew uh there was a lovely thing about from grant gustin who posted on an instagram post and did a whole sort of half a page worth of really lovely kind of slightly gushy things about how lovely Stephen amel is and how we wish they got to work together a bit more but you know the crossovers even though they're grueling are amazing and you know i uh, hope to see more of you now that we're not working together this sort of thing and uh Stephen posted a reply saying dude i was in public i wasn't prepared to read this <laughs> it's it really sweet so yeah i mean you know i am a bit sorry to see you go but i think it's probably about time and they've got a batwoman series coming up which i think is almost a dead cert for pickup now if Arrow's going to be ending. That's good. There are rumours swirling around about how Arrow will likely end. They have got the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover event coming up which will be around the 10 episode mark so people are speculating that oliver queen might not make it out of that alive quite possibly Mm. whether that's the case we don't know he did also say in that facebook video that he's obviously not entirely gone from the arrowverse because if they asked him to come back and do the odd episode he's perfectly happy to do that um, oh, that's good. whether that what version of ollie that will that would end up being depending will very much depend on whether they do kill him off or not but uh, we'll have to wait and see that crisis on infinite earths crossover is likely to shake things up quite a lot across the whole of the arrowverse because that's what it did in the comic books and i think that's what they're aiming for whether it's to mold everybody into one earth whether it will include black lightning but basically in the comic books it takes the multiverse and squashes it all together so there is a fairly good chance that we might now get supergirl actually on the same earth multiverse earth as uh, flash and all the others and i do wonder if they may decide to do the same thing with black lightning as well so everything's in one place and they can do crossovers with it but we'll have to wait and see there do seem to be some big changes coming up to that whole thing which after sort of it being on the air for eight years i think that's no bad thing necessarily it's a shame in many ways but when you initially said it i wondered um because dc have their own streaming service in other parts of the world don't they but um, i wondered yes. if there was some speculation when they finished daredevil and stuff if it was because marvel wanted to move everything to their streaming service that they're going to have mm. or disney's rather and I, I thought it might have been another political situation like that in many ways it's refreshing that he just doesn't want to do it anymore that's nice <laughs> yeah no i mean the the thing the difference actually with the netflix marvel stuff and the dccw stuff is Mm. the CW is owned by Warner Brothers, who also are owned by DC. 
So right. Warner Brothers have, have like shares in both of them anyway. So, so there's no problem there. So there's absolutely no problem there. They'll keep on doing what they're doing. The DC <sighs> Universe streaming service, I think, will be kept for its own kind of little universe stuff, right? which will be the kind of slightly darker things that we've seen with um, Titans, right. which mm. they couldn't get away with on the CW. And the CW will carry on doing the sort of slightly lighter shows, which they're <laughs> doing. Over on Marvel Netflix, there was a very different situation there and with disney setting up that streaming service which is a direct competitor to netflix it was very much netflix decision to cancel them marvel were perfectly happy to leave them there netflix for whatever reason decided that they didn't want to keep running them Uh, admittedly some of their viewing figures had gone down uh, from what they seemed to be telling us so uh it was apparently very much Netflix decision. There is a fair chance that those shows will turn up, but it won't be on the Disney Plus service. If they do re-emerge, it's likely to either be on FX or on Hulu mm. because Disney will own a large stake in Hulu once the Fox deal is all complete. They'll yeah. also own FX. Both of those are likely places for them. The Disney Plus service itself they've said will stay very much pg-13 so a sort of 12 Uh, rated thing and with the best will in the world even dumbing them down a little bit or you know (laughs) taking out some of the language and violence i it will be very difficult to do a pg-13 punisher series and still make it work (laughs) i think i'd like to see it i think it'd be wonderful (laughs) yeah i mean to be fair they've done punisher cartoons and stuff but i think it would be quite difficult to do that version of the punisher in in a pg-13 rated so they're not going to end up on disney plus service mm. i don't think certainly not initially not when they've got other places they could put them and you know fx seems like a good place because they, they're keeping fx as a brand by the sounds of it to put the more mature stuff on and uh, they also like i say have a have a stake in hulu and hulu have said that you know if they want to come to them with them that they are certainly open to that yeah. the, it looks like there may be an exclusion time between them leaving you know it might be like two years it might be five mm. years and we don't know but there may be an exclusion before they're allowed to air it on another station so right. though so mm. despite the fact that it appears to have been netflix that cancelled it they've there seems to be something in the contract that won't allow them just to move it and air it somewhere else Straight away, yeah so yeah. i think they will come back at some point i just don't know yeah. when we'll have to wait and see with those cool moving on uh strike back has been renewed for an eighth and final season so that's the the current strike back team will be back for one more season after the one that's airing at the moment i have to say i i didn't watch all of the last season and i need to catch up it wasn't particularly bad i just kind of other things got in the way and i didn't get around to finishing it so uh, i have still got it on my skybox i will try and go and finish that and they've got the new season running at the moment and then they'll have one more season and that'll be it at least that's what they said that's what they've said this time <laughs> they said that last time and then they brought it back after a couple of years so uh, we'll see but at, at the moment they're saying that it's definitely ending again call the midwife has been renewed up until 2022 so uh, they've already shooting the ninth season which is the (laughs) one that will go out this year they've now renewed it for a 10th and 11th season so uh, yes that takes it up to 2022 so good news for called the midwife fans itv has renewed vera for a 10th season and endeavor for a seventh season so those two are back death in paradise has been renewed for two more seasons as well 
Chicago Fire, Med and PD have all been renewed for their respective new seasons. Brooklyn Nine-Nine has been renewed for its seventh season and its second season on NBC in the US. So uh, mm-hmm. all the finger crossing, it was really cute. They showed, <laughs> they showed a video of them being told in a sort of read-through and they're all jumping up and down and screaming. It was very, very cute. <laughs> and uh, Star Trek Discovery has been renewed for a third season as well, which I think was always going to be a bit of a shoo-in. They've introduced a lady called Michelle Paradise as co-showrunner to uh, help out Alex Kurzman. Alex Kurzman's basically the guy in charge of all things Star Trek at CBS now. So he's got his fingers in a bunch of different shows right now. So I think they've brought her in. She has been working on the show. They basically promoted her to being co-showrunner for the third season. It seems like a solid idea. You know, she knows what she's doing and she's been there already. So you know, sure. uh, gives him frees him up to be able to kind of concentrate on some other shows as well. They have got a Section Thirty One series in the offing as well, which stars Michelle Yeoh, and uh, that's a sort of element which is in the second season. But there is a spin-off series that looks like it is going to happen, but they've said it's a few years off before that's likely to arrive. Sticking with Star Trek, the Picard series, which is one of those um, spin-off shows which Alex Kurzman is working on, they have announced a bit of new casting for that. The uh, Picard series, which hasn't got a proper name at the moment, so we're just referring to it as Star Trek colon Picard, uh, <laughs> as, as in the Star Trek naming convention. Uh, they've announced that two people will be joining him. Um, Santiago Cabrera and Michelle Hurd are the two people that are joining him. We don't know a whole lot about the new series right now. Mm. Uh, the one thing we do know is it's set in the sort of future of anything that we've seen in the <laughs> main timeline, uh, so not the weird, strange movie throw off timeline that jj abrams did uh it's it's all in the normal main timeline it's set after the events of nemesis and the 2009 star trek movie there were some key points in the 2009 movie which related to the initial star trek timeline in that um spock was trying to save the romulan homeworld uh which is when he ended up going through that um red matter supernova portal thingy which threw Mm. him into the different timeline spock fails to save romulus and it explodes and it's sort of post that cataclysmic event that has really changed things for Picard. So uh, there's the sort of dissolution of the Romulan Empire. It sort of radically altered the life that Picard was having. It seems that we're going to be dealing with Romulans in some way in this Mm. timeline, but we don't know exactly what. And Patrick Stewart's in. Yes, and pa- oh, Patrick Stewart's totally in. Yes, it is in, it's do- It's going, it's happening. They've done script reads. Uh, I don't know whether they're actually shooting yet, but I mean, it is It is in the bag. It is definitely happening. Right. So Santiago is uh, somebody that will might not be a name you know, but it is somebody that you may recognise. He's a Venezuelan actor, but he's been on uh, Heroes, where he played the comic book artist in you can or comic book author in that Isaac. Uh, he was in Merlin, where he played Lancelot. He played Aramis in The Musketeers. So he's been, for some reason, he was over here quite a lot doing British TV shows. He's around, uh, sure. Yes, he's around. Uh, he's been starring in Salvation, which I, I think is on Netflix over here. It's a CBS show. Michelle Hurd uh, has been in a whole ton of stuff over the years. Uh, Law and Order S for You, ER, uh, 90210, Devious Mage she was in. I think most recently, Recently, people will know her mainly as playing Shepard in Blind Spot, or she played the DA Samantha Reese in Daredevil as well. 
She also uh, plays Rini Grover, Lou Grover's wife in Hawaii Five-0, which is a sort of guest role that she pops up in every so often. Mm. Uh, and she was in Lethal Weapon as well. So, yes, yeah, she's not short of work, that lady. <laughs> Don't know what they're going to be playing at the moment, or at least no official word on what they're playing. The rumour is that Santiago is playing a skilled thief and the pilot of Picard's ship, whatever that happens to be, presumably it's not the Enterprise because he's supposed to be, I think, retired at this point. And her, her role is supposed to be a former intelligence officer with a history of drug and alcohol abuse. However, despite her background, she's still a brilliant analyst and amazing has amazing memory retention. That's rumoured to be what they're playing, but that might not be correct. We'll have to see. They have said that the uh, Picard series is supposed to be coming later in 2019, although as far as we're aware, they're not shooting it yet, or maybe they are. I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, they, they I, I suspect it'll be at the very tail end of 2019 when it does arrive. But that seems like a fairly fast time turnaround for it. Christmas special, let's go. <laughs> yeah, well, it's going to be a series, so we'll, mm. we'll have to see. Uh, no news on a UK pickup yet, but you've got to imagine that Netflix are going to go after it. Why wouldn't they? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, they seem to be home for most things Star Trek at this point. I mean, yeah. you know, and they're running Discovery and that's been a big success for them. So I rather suspect they'll pick this up as well. Moving on to uh, comic book adaptations, there is a an adaptation coming of a book called Resident Alien. And uh, it's going to be starring everybody's favourite pilot, Alan Tudyk. <laughs> who, uh, of course, was in uh, Firefly. Do you think Alan Tudyk ever gets the call and just thinks, nah, don't think this one? <laughs> Because he's always saying yes to stuff. He's always in the thing, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, he seems to pop up in the weirdest of places. He does a ton of voiceover work as well. Mm, yeah. uh, I'd uh, got to play one of the the Waynes, the, one of the lesser known Waynes. He was a cousin of Bruce Wayne on that um, short-lived NBC show, which was about the people that kind of insure superheroes, wasn't it? I think. Oh, right. <laughs> he was on that as well. So he's done a little bit and sort of DC. He does a ton of voiceover work and then sort of pops up in all sorts of things. And then, Let's do a Alan Tudyk verse where it's just his characters from different, you know, comic that, book properties. That would be great. That would be great. Uh, and of course, played played Wash in Firefly. So. <laughs> uh, Resident Alien is described as a twisted and comedic fish out of water story the show follows an alien who crash lands on earth and assumes the identity of a small town Colorado doctor named Harry Vandersmeel which includes its character only to face the moral quandary of whether human beings are actually worth saving I mean that description makes it sound like the perfect role for Alan Tudyk yeah, sure. I mean I really really see him fitting into a role like he's that he's in but he's sort of out of place in some way yeah, and, and that seems very, very much him sort of thing. As well as being uh, watching Firefly, he's been in Maze Runner films, he was in Powerless, he was in Trumbo, he was uh, lent his voice, I think he was voice and mocap for Rogue One, played the main robot in Rogue One. Um, the main robot. Pops up in The Tick, um, Doom Patrol, where he's technically voicing a character, I think. Uh, but he's he's done stuff for Family Guy, Rick and Morty, Adventure Time, um, Zootopia, Big Hero 6, Moana. So, yeah, a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, go and check out Combine if you haven't, because it's hilarious as well. 
it's well worth watching so yeah the the other casting they've announced is uh sarah tomanko who was in once upon a time Corey reynolds who was in the closer alex wetterland who was in people of earth and levi feischler who is in mars which is a great show as well uh so yeah that's that's the cast for that i don't know the comic book at all it's another dark horse comics dark horse seem to be doing quite well selling their stuff on that's good being commissioned by sci-fi us which does not mean it'll end up on sci-fi uk over here it yeah. could end up anywhere uh they <laughs> they don't work like that unfortunately they've not set a premiere date for it as well i suspect it'll be an autumn one for them but we'll we'll have to wait and see and lastly the amazon lord of the rings series which has been very quiet up until quite recently they've been slowly dropping maps or pictures of maps out onto the uh twitter feed and uh sort of adding little bits more detail each time and as they've added more detail it's sort of not until the latest map has come out where they've finally come out and said that the show will be set in the second age of uh, tolkien's middle earth if that means nothing to you i will try and explain (laughs) what that means how much lord of the rings tolkien stuff are you aware of lord of the rings is the third age isn't it like the the actual series right yes and an age to me dave an amateur sounds like a long time we're talking a hundred years or something maybe even more because people are old in lord of the rings about 10 times that yes (laughs) so we're talking century before lord of the rings happens yeah no well we're talking well you're talking about a thousand times that actually i mean the second age is a long time in the past it's it's before the fellowship go to mordor it's before bilbo beats the dragon it's it's way way before all that we saw a little bit of the second age on screen in the opening moments of of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, if you remember, there was a big battle sequence, uh, which, yes. which you have the last alliance of elves and men battling mm. the physical incarnation of Sauron, leads to him being physically defeated, heads back to Mordor to basically become a giant eye on the top of a tower. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that's the end of the Second Age. So that's right ah. at the end of the Second Age, that period. So we might have sort of, well, depending on what part of the Second Age it's in, we might have some sort of Sauron rise to power situation. Sauron, I sp- suspect, will very much be part of it. The entire period of the Second Age spans 3,441 years. Which is oddly specific. Which, being Tolkien, is very specific, of course. They should go to a decimal system and just make it like 10. Yeah. Like, end it in a round number. Yes, totally. So, the Second Age is a period of time where dwarves are flourishing in Khazar-dûm, which is is later what becomes known as Moria, which is the place with the uh, Balrog and the Troll and all that sort of stuff. Under under the the mountain. Under the Misty Mountains, yes. Alron, who is very, very, very old, is founding Rivendell during this yeah. period as well. There's also the time when the Rings of Power are created. So the the Elves and the One Ring are created by mainly by the Elves, but uh, Sauron's kind of got these fingers in manipulating them into creating the Rings, essentially. Right. The announcement of it being in the Second Age was quite a sort of major thing because there was a lot of people talking about, oh, well, rumours are it's going to be a young Aragorn series. It's not going to be that because Aragorn was nowhere near being alive at that point. One of the things that is going to feature is on the maps that they sent out, uh, there's uh, Numenor, 
which I think I'm pronouncing that right. Apologies, Tolkien Scullins, if I'm not. Uh, <laughs> there's an island which is off the, the side of Middle-earth, which was the Kingdom of Men. It's not something that you usually find on a Middle-earth map because it was sunk by the Valar, basically, are the gods of Middle-earth, after the inhabitants disobeyed them when the king was corrupted by Sauron. So all Sauron's fault again. And the gods basically got upset and sank the entire island. This is the place where Aragorn's bloodline comes from, though. Mm. It's where the the sort of royal bloodline comes from. So there is a very good chance that you'll we'll see relatives of Aragorn, but you mm. know, the great, great, great times are lots of grandparents and stuff. And the fact that it's there suggests that it may be set around on that island, quite possibly. That also gives you some idea of the time period because uh, the island was destroyed 122 years prior to that battle at the end of the Second Age. So unless you're running up right until that point where they actually destroy it, it's going to be set much earlier than that in the timeline. we're at least towards the end, possibly. Well, you may be towards the end. I mean, that island has been around for most of the Second Age, so... Right. Terrific. So, so we know nothing like we knew before. No, <laughs> we don't know anything for sure. But my gut feeling is there's a 200 year period in the middle of the Second Age from about 1500 to 1700 that covers the forging of the Rings of Power, the founding of Rivendell, the War of the Elves with Sauron as well. So there is a nice big battle in there. You've got the rings being created. You've got Rivendell being made. That that seems like a solid time period to pick yeah. out. That sort of 200-year gap seems like a good area to set it in. People know the words and the places and stuff. Even people who aren't into it like know the words, right? Yeah, and, and it's the forging of the rings of power, which is the yeah. sort of you know, an important element. It's interesting as well because this is the first time, I think, that anybody has been allowed to tamper with stuff that wasn't either The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I mean, they did it a little bit with The Hobbit books and they kind of, you know, the, but a lot of that was, some of it was pulled from some of the other books, but some of it was also made up as well by Peter <laughs> Jackson. So he's tweaked a few things here and there. This is a lot of the stuff comes out of other work which was finished after Tolkien died. It's interesting because it's the first time they've actually been allowed to, you know, anybody's been allowed to play with this sort of stuff, which possibly why they spend so much money on it. So uh, there's no casting or air date info or anything else for for the Lord of the Rings series yet. We don't know when it's going to arrive. My guess is you may see something in 2020, but given the scale of it, it could very well be 2021, 2022. So who knows? So this is uh, LOTR on Prime on Twitter. Yes. And they've they've got maps on there. Yeah, and they've got the maps on there and they are tweeting out little teasers. So if you are a Lord of the Rings fan and you're excited for this, go and follow that Twitter handle because yeah. they are dropping little hints and teasers and bits and pieces. So that's certainly where the news seems to be coming out of. It's amazing the amount of stuff you can get from them just sticking an island on a map as well. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But I am very much looking forward to that. It should be really interesting when it eventually drops. That's all the news for this week. Next, we'll move on to the interview. <laughs> 
Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The interview this week is with composer Dan Morocco, who works on a little comedy series you may have heard of called Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Previously, he's worked on uh, films such as Demonic and... uh, Brotherhood, and uh, he's also worked on the TV series Say Yes to the Dress. Uh, he's worked on shows such as Lie to Me and uh, Life on Mars, the American remake, that is. Uh, Dirty Sexy Money, he had, did some work on as well. So a uh, whole lot of different things. Brooklyn Nine-Nine is his main focus at the moment, and he does sort of other projects in between. So we chat a bit to him about the cancellation and subsequent rescue by NBC last year. Uh, this was recorded prior to us knowing that it had got renewed for a new season as well. So uh, I don't mention the latest renewal in here. If you're wondering why I, I didn't bring that up, uh, this was recorded before then. Here's the interview with Dan. We'll see you afterwards with some highlights for next week on TV. <laughs> It's lovely to have you on because, I mean, Brooklyn Nine-Nine's such a good show. Obviously went through a little bit of trauma at the at the middle of last year, I guess. Yeah. Um, did you know the cancellation was coming? Did you? How, how soon did you know that NBC were, were kind of getting involved to, to rescue it? Did you know much about that situation? I mean, I had no inside information, but obviously it's my job and <laughs> this is what I spend a lot of time. So I've been watching the ratings and everything to check and see how it was looking. So I knew, I knew it was kind of 50-50, but it felt like towards the end of the season, season five, that it was uh, getting some signs that maybe it was looking a little more positive. So I thought I was prepared for the show. Like if it's canceled, okay, well, I'll move on. And it was a great run and a fun show to work on. But then when it actually was canceled, I was uh, pretty shocked and yeah. uh, super disappointed. But luckily it didn't last too long. <laughs> yeah, it was like two days and NBC stepped yeah. in and picked it up again, which which yeah. was a great move by them. I mean, it's it seems to have been doing phenomenal ratings for NBC. I mean, it seems to have been doing really well over there and uh, and they've they've added more episodes haven't they so yeah so yeah it's been all encouraging signs and they've done so much to to promote the show and uh yeah so it's been great so far and yeah it was uh nbc picking up it up was not really on my horizon i was looking for hulu or netflix or maybe tbs where it's syndicated here in the states i thought maybe one of those and then those right about a day after the cancellation there was kind of a series of tweets basically is how i was finding everything out but there was a series (laughs) of tweets saying uh, that netflix had passed hulu had passed tbs wasn't interested so then i was just like oh man like it's so it's really done it's really done now and then you know four or five hours after that i saw that nbc had picked us up for an another season and uh, was elated yeah so it's funny you're finding out exactly the same way that pretty much everybody else did by the sense of it so. oh no absolutely i was in the doc when it was the cancellation i was in the doctor's office i had a broken toe so i was sitting oh, there no. waiting for the doctor and and it just popped up on my phone you know i had my alert set popped <laughs> up on my phone fox cancels brooklyn 99 and i was just like oh Oh, <laughs> like, that was. That was I might uh, have some time on my ads. <laughs> yeah, that that's big news to receive just sitting here uh, waiting for the yeah. doctor. But uh, and then 
likewise, when it was picked back up, I was uh, at my favorite Ivy Mexican restaurant, having <laughs> margaritas with a friend, kind of uh, drowning my sorrows. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And uh, my wife called and said, it got picked up. NBC picked it up. And I, so I, you know, I was behind the times on that one a little bit because she, somebody had, some random person had messaged her on Facebook that it was picked up. Like we had given up at that point. So uh-huh. uh, it was kind of funny, the chain of uh, yeah, yeah. events to learn the news. But yeah, it was, it was great to hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. It's great to have it back. And uh, as I say, it seems to be doing really well for NBC. So that's a really positive sign. Yeah. We should really talk a little bit about the music soon. <laughs> that's what you're yeah. here for. <laughs> yeah. um, so let's start off with a little bit of background. How did you get into composing in the first place? So composing, I, um, I kind of always been around music. My dad was a music teacher uh, right. high school. So I kind of, you know, I played piano pretty young and played the trumpet and picked up the guitar and, you know, have been around music, but didn't really consider composing until I was in university at NYU. At that point, I thought I wanted to be a record producer or work at a record label or something like that. Right. But I got an internship at a company that mainly did music for commercials. So I started writing music for commercials. And that was kind of a a fun way to get into writing a lot of different kinds of music and learning how to work with picture and being able to write music with the set of guidelines that comes with writing to picture. And Mm. I find the the kind of guidelines that you get with picture more inspiring than limiting, you know? Yeah. It helps me kind of get my creative process going when I have, okay, I need to do this, this, this and this and put them all together that uh, helps me get moving as opposed to just having a blank page of okay just write something wonderful (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I just started enjoying it a lot of my friends in in, um, college were film students so I started doing music for their short films and kind of early projects and eventually moved that was in New York eventually moved out to Los Angeles and got into writing for TV and uh, assisting on some films and stuff, doing a few films of my own. How did uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine come to you? Uh, a friend from college who uh, is an editor or was an editor, now she's a director, but she was editing the pilot and I had recently done some some work for her on another show. So she called me up to, to get an early start on it. So I was working really at the first kind of editor's, director's cut. Wow. I was already starting to write some music for it. So by the time it was a locked cut, it already had a lot of my music in it. And uh, <laughs> that's definitely the way you, you convince people that you're the right person for the gig. Yes. Well, <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, it wasn't even it wasn't even my you know, it wasn't my job even after the pilot that was, you know, 95 percent my music. Yeah, it still wasn't like, oh, well, clearly you're hired. I still had to go through an interview and uh, yeah, yeah. go through the process and everything. And uh, yeah. Luckily, they were happy enough with the way the pilot turned out that they uh, they kept me on board for the show and, you know, had me do the theme song and everything. Yeah. And, you know, the thing with TV, you know, I was very fortunate to have somebody kind of know I could do the work and, and call me up to help them out and help me out. But as fortunate as, as that is, the number of pilots that people even stay to the end on is, yeah, yeah. is pretty limited. And then and then of those pilots, the one that, that get picked up and then of those, the ones that make it more than 13 episodes and you know yeah and then into six seasons is it's just at each stage it's like a super lucky <laughs> kind <laughs> of thing just multiplied on top of each other so uh, yeah i feel very fortunate to be a part of the show it's been great 
Yeah. I mean, the other slightly odd thing with this as well is the fact that you ended up doing the theme tune as well, because that quite often isn't the case. The theme ends up going to somebody else entirely and then somebody gets brought on to do the the, the main thing. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, having spoken to 30, 40 composers at this point, there's there's only one or two that have actually done the theme and ended up doing yeah, the main show as well. Yeah, it's surprisingly rare that it's connected. Um, yeah. yeah, I have definitely demoed and tried the themes on other shows and that I had no part in in the scoring part of but yeah I was very excited to get to (laughs) I'm sure the idea was well let's give this guy a shot and see how he does and then uh, (laughs) if he doesn't we can always you know go out to everybody and see what we come back with I know on the producers previous shows it was kind of a send it out to everybody and Mm. see who comes back with the best thing and and that was kind of the plan which to my knowledge they didn't do on this (laughs) (laughs) because it's not impossible yeah no I, I was excited to do it and the producers had a pretty good start of an idea of, of what kind of thing they wanted and it you know having already done the pilot it helped to understand the energy of the show and the kind of sound that mm. was going for as a whole with the show took yeah. several passes at it to get it right but that was the most kind of collaborative with the producers and everything of, of anything I've, I've worked on on the show it's definitely there was a lot of back and forth I even got notes from Andy Sandberg at one point on <laughs> on on it so which incidentally I don't know if you're a fan of his work on Saturday Night Live but my favorite of his notes was that he wanted some laser sounds in it. which there are subtly some laser sounds in it. But at the time, he was just coming off Saturday Night Live where he was one of the guys behind Laser Cats, the sketch that they were doing. Right, okay. So I thought that was pretty great to get my first big show theme song to get the note from the, <laughs> the creator of Laser Cats to add more lasers to the theme song. <laughs> that's they, awesome. You know, they actually, at first I was like, that's silly. Like, that, that's a silly note. I, but I, I put them in and was like, you know what, that's, that's fun. <laughs> Weirdly, that works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so how did you start to approach the music to I mean, you, you, know, you say you, obviously you're getting notes back and, and all that sort of stuff. It's a cop show, but it's a sort of comedy cop show. Did you look at traditional cop show scores and things to sort of guide it in any way? Or was it coming from a completely different place? So I had worked, I had assisted on several police shows, hour long dramas yeah. recently before starting Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And there was the US version of Life on Mars. Yes. And Lie to Me, which is more of a you know, detective loved, kind of thing, right? Loved, <laughs> loved that show. Yeah. Um, and then uh, one that ran on CBS here for a while called NYC 22, which was very uh, cops on the beat kind of show. Yeah. So I, I had a string of pretty legit. Uh, <laughs> I, I was assisting on those, but, you know, I had a string of pretty legit. These are police shows yeah. that I had worked on. So I definitely already had a feel of, OK, this is the sound of police music that was definitely inspired by those earlier 70s, 80s kind of police shows. Yeah. And then I had also done a small comedy on Adult Swim here in the States called NTSF SD SUV, which <laughs> yeah. is uh Paul Shear created it. It was a spoof on the CSIs in CIS and, yeah. you know, all those that they were taking off. So, and that one, it was a comedy, very much a spoof. So the music had to play over the top, legit police sound. You know, there was no trying to be funny about it. It was, mm. it was definitely trying to be the more serious, the more funny it was basically. So I had all this cop background. And I think honestly, that's why once I got to the interview process on uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I think that probably put me over the top 
Yeah. So, but because the producers doing The Office and Parks and Rec before had never really used score in the shows. Neither of those shows have score at all. They just have a theme song. And then there are a few songs like yeah. written for a band in the show. Mm. And definitely the aesthetic at the time and, and still is to shy away from sitcom music, you know, with the just the transitions and bumpers and those kind of things and the stings. So I think their idea for the show was, well, we have police action, we're going to need music for the police action. Mm. So we need somebody to play that who can help us out in the comedy department a little bit occasionally. But for the most part, we need somebody who can make the action entertaining. Yeah. So I think that's that's how I came on to it, that that kind of felt like a good fit for them. It's interesting because the, the show isn't wall to wall music like some series are there. Yeah. You know, so how much are you writing per episode, do you reckon? You know, at this point, we have so many cues in a library that I probably could get away with writing less, but I probably write 20 cues, you know, 20 starts roughly. Okay. Maybe 18 or something, you know, but I would probably 15 to 20 is, is safe that I write each episode and it ranges from four to eight minutes worth of music in a 22 minute episode. Yeah. And mainly the action stuff, but we kind of have found a style of intro into a scene or um, mm. transition that doesn't feel too sitcommy, but helps the audience transition from one scene to another. Or, you know, if we do a time jump and cut between sets in the office, you know, in, in yeah. the police precinct, it helps to have a little music to let you know, OK, we're it, it, this isn't a direct cut. We're definitely this is a new scene we're cutting to. So. Yeah, yeah. Quite a lot of it appears to be sort of very guitar based, I guess. Um, yeah, it is definitely because you've got some of the tracks up on your website as well. So I was listening to that. So great use of of rock jazz flute in one. Yes. One of those, one of those. <laughs> yeah, that, that's one of my that's one of my favorite ones. That's uh, that theme with the flute is one that is a recurring theme in the Halloween episode. So oh, it, right. every every season we've had a Halloween episode that's uh, all about a big heist, and each each season somebody different wins it. And at the end, they always have a scene explaining how they've tricked everyone, how they've managed to win the heist. So uh, <laughs> each year we've gone with that same theme. And the one with the flute is a personal favorite of mine. And I, I try and bring the flute, the flute back in now in future ones. But that was the one when Captain Holt won. And he he was referencing uh, Franz Blueheim, the flautist. So uh, <laughs> so I decided for, for Holt's winning season of the Halloween heist that he should have a flute running through it all. So, so that was uh, that was a lot of fun. Can't beat some rock jazz flute in there. Definitely. Yeah, it, it really. Yeah, there's a few of those, you know, in the second episode of season six, I may have beat the rock jazz flute. I got to say the the opening has some some really solid saxophone in it. So. <laughs> awesome. I'll have to watch out for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so this is is this the first show you've been kind of main composer i mean you've done as you say you've done sort of adult swim stuff as well yeah this is the first big time broadcast network one that, yeah. that has been solely mine and uh it's fun it's yeah, yeah <laughs> it's yeah. it's great to be in charge of it and getting to make the choices on everything and you know a lot of composers have pretty big teams and they take on three or four shows at a time. And from my experience, when you've got a bunch of projects going on and just from getting to all the meetings and managing yeah. what everyone else is doing to make sure everything gets done on time, 
there's not a lot of time to actually write music. You yeah. know, you get you maybe you, you write if you're the the top guy on these four shows, you maybe write a few cues here and a few cues there and a few cues there and send it out and try and do your best to manage everything that's coming in and going out. And I very consciously decided I'd, I'd like to write music. I'd like to be yeah. the one really doing it. So yeah, it's fun to be in the position to be able to <laughs> be, be in control of how much I, I can do on it and uh, really get to write some fun music for the show. I can entirely understand that. I mean, yeah, because I, I know some of the guys will have like, you know, five shows going at once. You think, how, how, how could you do this? This is ridiculous. I, I mean, I, I don't understand it personally. <laughs> like yeah. I, I, even with the teams and everything, I think the most I was at the very beginning of Brooklyn nine, nine, I had, uh, that NTSF show was kind of wrapping up and I was doing a film and I was doing Brooklyn nine, nine for the first three or four weeks of the show. And at the same time, the theme song was, a, a another added project. And, uh, that was a completely mad time. So yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I can't, I can't imagine how people do it. And, you know, that was about a four week period where it was just like, non-stop uh, i can't imagine how the people do it who have five things running like that yeah. uh, nine to 12 months out of the year that just that seems crazy to me but you know the other thing the other part of it why kind of i've consciously stayed in that path is i did work very briefly i just rented a room really from one of the biggest composers out there has a spot in santa monica with a huge team of people <laughs> that wouldn't be Hans Zimmer by any chance with it. I'm not. I'm not saying anything. But I, uh, <laughs> that's a machine of its own. It's oh, super yeah. impressive. I saw how that worked, and then I also was fortunate enough to work with Alexander Desplat and Javier Navarrete a decent amount when yeah. they were out here. When they've come out to LA and worked out here, I, I was their kind of point person for a long time. I shouldn't group them together individually. You know, yeah, they're yeah, totally yeah. separate things. But but yeah. Uh, and they both were completely differently in they are the ones writing the music. They're sitting there in front of the computer doing the music from start to finish. And then when you get to the approved pieces and you're ready to record, then you have obviously have to have a team to get you from the computer to the finished recorded orchestra on the, yeah. the big films. But really in the writing process, it was fun to see guys, even, you know, guys who are like Alex on is so busy you know he yeah at that point he was doing and i mean he still is but he's doing eight films a year something like that Jeez. and of the highest level films and he's doing them all and writing them all and coming up with something unique for him and just fully engaged in it and not just uh, yeah you know he's not at all a manager of his operation he's just writing the music which is yeah yeah, you know, that's why I got into it. It's because I enjoyed writing the music. So that definitely seemed like, OK, well, if I have a choice, that's definitely the path I would like to take of being able to be the one to write the music. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why you get into the job in the first place. So, you know, yeah. that's yeah, I, I totally yeah. get that. <laughs> I will say it does have its drawbacks because, you know, I've taken on one show and I, I love it and I'm working real hard on it. And like I saw, you know, whatever it was nine months ago, that can be taken away very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're starting starting from square one again but it's been great while i'm while i've been working on it and yeah. great that i get to keep working on it you need like something that you could just just sort of have running maybe alongside just in case yeah. <laughs> i wouldn't be opposed to a summer show so that i could uh, yeah. kind of go back and forth and it, yeah. yeah i will say it is it is fun I have done other projects over the summers and it is fun to have something new to work on to kind of just refresh your mind. And maybe you 
find some instruments for that that were never never seen yeah, yeah. like something you would reach for on Brooklyn Nine Nine. But then you're like, oh, but that was really cool. I bet I could use that in in this queue. You know, when you go back to Brooklyn Nine Nine or you know, yeah, between between projects. So it is helpful to be able to have some other creative uh, outlets to inspire new ideas too. But uh, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you you want a little bit of variation. I mean, you did you did a, an orchestral score for uh, the film Demonic, didn't you? That that yeah. sort of kind of almost as far away as you can get from Brooklyn yeah, Nine-Nine. And, and uh, yeah, as I mentioned, that's the film that I was working on right at the start of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It right, was, yeah. I was kind of wrapping that up as I was getting to Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So there wasn't a lot of uh, transfer from, <laughs> you know, like I'm saying, the you pick up an instrument. There wasn't a lot of that for, for Brooklyn Nine-Nine to, yeah. to demonic, but it was still fun to be able to switch gears. And surprisingly, not that difficult to jump between the two as I was doing it, because, you know, you look at the picture and, you know, hit play and hear everything that's going on. And suddenly it's like, okay, now I'm in this place. And it, it uh, was surprisingly not that difficult to jump back and forth as needed on this. Yeah, no, I mean, I've interviewed Dominic Lewis, who is the composer for DuckTales, but he's also yeah. the composer for Man in the High Castle. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's quite good to have the opposite ends, you know. It's surprising how far I'll get into my rhythm on Brooklyn Nine-Nine and I feel like I'm writing a very similar piece of music over and over and just kind of tailoring it to the needs of the scene. Yeah. And, you know, then I'll, my agent will ask for a reel for something else totally different and I'll go back through some old music and listen. It's like, wow, I wrote that? Like, <laughs> Huh. Like <laughs> that just feels so foreign right now. But but uh, yeah, you get get on the project and looking at the picture and, you know, into the story. And it, it's fun to see where it can inspire you. Yeah. I've got a couple of final questions that we yeah. ask everybody. First one is what TV shows are you watching at the moment? What am I watching? I, I just finished uh, Killing Eve. I really enjoyed that one. Great show. Um, yeah. And uh, just finished up uh, Friends from College. It was a Netflix oh, uh, yeah. show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Good Place is one that I'm. I, uh, we talk I about that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing that show. Yeah. And of course, I'm waiting for my Game of Thrones and those kind of ones yes. uh, to come back on air. But uh, yeah, definitely on air right now. Good Place is probably the one I'm most excited to, to tune in. Yeah. And, and it's a, a partner with Brooklyn Nine Nine. At least here in the U.S., they air back to back. So that's ah, that's cool. Fun. There's plenty I watch. <laughs> I, watch. <laughs> I love I love TV. So, uh, awesome. yeah. so the last question is: If you had the opportunity to work on any TV show, past, present, or future, not one you've worked on, which show would it be? Oh, that is tough, isn't it? Um, there's so many good options. Maybe Breaking Bad. I think that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's there's such a range there, and uh, what they do that's so fun, which is very different from Brooklyn Nine Nine. Brooklyn Nine Nine is just wall to wall dialogue, basically. So yeah. there's always jokes and so a lot of my job is working around the jokes so there are only very particular moments where music can really pop out and be featured yeah but aside from just the subject of breaking bad just being so interesting and and everything about the production of it being so great 
they really milk moments, you know, so they really yeah. let things uh, marinate for a while. And there's usually really fun music. There's, you know, there's opportunities to do something really cool with the music on that in those spaces. So it gives you a place to really do something good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's a popular, popular show that I mean, it was an amazing series. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I will let you get back to uh, your work and your day. It's been lovely to talk to you. Hopefully we can have you back on a, at some point in the future, maybe when the yeah. next season of Brooklyn Nine Nine comes yeah, that out, that would be great. I'd love to. <laughs> awesome. Well, have a great day. Yeah, you too. Speak to you soon. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Bye. Bye. So that was the interview with Dan Morocco, the composer of Brooklyn Nine Nine. We don't yet know exactly when Brooklyn Nine Nine's coming back. I was told it is going to be fairly soon uh, on E4 in the UK. Hopefully, we'll find out relatively soon when that actually is. But uh, we're still waiting for E4 to sort it out at the moment. We'll let you know. Check the website and check the air dates and stuff, and we'll let you know when it is coming back. Now we have some highlights for next week on TV. <laughs> Highlights for next week on TV. We have Bounty Hunters returning for a second season on Sky One. That's on the 13th of March at 8pm. That's the Jack Whitehall and Rosie Perez comedy. Did you watch any of the first season of this? Uh, no, I didn't. It was quite funny. Um, very Jack Whitehall in places, but, you know, has a bit more kind of action in it. It's really right. strange seeing Jack Whitehall in an action comedy, but uh, <laughs> worth watching, certainly. Madam Secretary back on Sky Witness for the second half of its fifth season. That's on the 14th of March at 10 p.m. Arrested Development is back for the second half of season five. That's on the 15th of March on Netflix. Also on Netflix on the 15th of March, you've got Queer Eye, the third season of that is back. All good, all good. Yes, and uh, there's a new Idris Elba show on the 15th of March on Netflix as well, which is called Turn Up Charlie. He plays a struggling DJ and eternal bachelor who is given a final chance at success when he reluctantly becomes a manny to his famous best friend's problem child daughter. <laughs> um, like a manny has entered the popular vernacular. <laughs> yes, I know. It looks like a comedy to me or com- dramedy kind Kind of thing Certainly um, set up that way, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's single camera comedy sort of setup by the looks of things, but uh, it looks quite funny, so it could be worth watching. Mm. And it's Idris Elba, it's stretching his legs again, so always worth <laughs> Prove Innocent, which is on Universal TV on the 18th of March at 9 pm. That's a legal drama set at a wrongful conviction firm led by a fierce and fearless female lawyer with a hunger for justice. The team reopens investigations, putting their own lines in danger to exonerate the innocent that were proven guilty it's got Frasier in it as well that Frasier um, I can't remember the man's name what's the guy's name Kelsey Grammer Kelsey Grammer yes got Kelsey Grammer I'm sure I'm sure he responds to Frasier in the street if I, I'm sure if you shouted out to yes don't don't shout you don't advocate that you won't get smacked in the face um so prove innocent look if you're into uh, those sort of legal dramas i think could be quite interesting so um one to definitely watch out for that's on the 18th of march on universal at 9 p.m and uh, that's everything for this week unless you've got anything else you want to add in i know that's it i'll go and see um captain marvel and we can compare notes dave yes yes definitely do that i would thoroughly recommend people go and see captain marvel it is two post-credit scenes so you stick around although if you have to run off don't worry too much about missing the, <laughs> the last one the good ones at the start that's yeah. nice isn't it because yeah. if the good ones at the end it's like oh I'm going to wait the second one's cute but you don't need to hang around for it necessarily oh. for us if you want to find out more information throughout the week go to geektown.co.uk and get all the latest air date info if you want to get in 
in touch with your questions and comments email us on podcast at geektown.co.uk leave a message on the website post find us at geektown on twitter on facebook at facebook.com forward slash geektown on youtube at youtube.com forward slash geektown and on instagram at geektown uk that is everything we shall see you next week bye 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 When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.